Hello, my name is Lizzie Iwashina, and in today's podcast, I will be covering the end of apartheid in South Africa and its lasting effects. According to the Oxford Dictionary, apartheid is defined as a policy or system of segregation or discrimination on grounds of race. In 1948, the National Party won the South African elections and immediately began pushing for racial segregation. This included a series of strict laws. Citizens were separated into four groups, black, Indian, mixed race, and white. While whites were able to live in cities as they pleased, the other three groups experienced increasing discrimination. Black South Africans were forced to live in Bantu stands or tribal homelands dictated by the government. However, because of the lack of work available in these areas, people had to pay outlandish amounts for lengthy commutes to wherever they could find a job. As apartheid continued, non-white South Africans became increasingly unhappy. Resistance was commonly seen among students through protests such as sit-ins that could last for days. One prominent student activist was Stephen Biko, a black medical student who founded the South African Students' Organization, or SASO, in 1968. According to a Black Past article, SASO was particularly revolutionary because previous to its creation, opposition to the South African government was largely underground and restricted. SASO was both a black student group and a black political organization, neither of which were allowed at the time. However, activism was not well received in South Africa, and Biko was tragically killed in a police investigation in 1977. Following his death, Biko became a symbol for the black struggle against apartheid. There were various forms of more organized resistance to apartheid as well, such as strikes and protests. In 1973, the Durban workers' strike saw some 60,000 people on a three-month strike. Wealthy white people were very shaken by this demonstration and uncomfortable with the realization of just how much they relied on black workers. Furthermore, they viewed the strike as something spontaneous rather than an intense buildup of years and years of humiliating restrictive legislation. It disturbed them to see how quickly people were able to rebel against their control. Another example of protest occurred in 1976. The South African government decided to enforce laws saying that classes must be taught in Afrikaans, a language spoken mostly by Dutch people in South Africa. However, for many, Afrikaans was strongly associated with white people and the colonial oppression caused by them. This change was not taken lightly, and in the black township of Soweto, students marched out of their classes and held protests. The police response to this demonstration was very extreme, ending with the death of about 200 people and the injury of at least 1,000. In 1978, a new prime minister, Peter Bota, was elected. He kickstarted some political reform, such as overturning the ban on interracial marriage, but black South Africans were still forced to live in designated zones and had no political voice. In 1984, a new South African constitution was put in place, which established a multi-house legislature, one house for whites, one for Indians, and one for mixed-race people. While this made some progress, there was still no political representation for black people, and they remained disenfranchised. In addition, despite whites being the minority, they were given the majority votes. So even if mixed-race people and Indian people shared views, the white legislators could overrule them. Enraged black South Africans continued to stage protests and strikes, crippling the economy. This forced the government to declare a state of emergency in 1985, allowing them to censor the media and make arrests without warrants. During the final years of apartheid, huge waves of violence engulfed South Africa. 
according to the South African Institute of Race Relations. From September 1984 to October 1990, 8,577 people died, largely due to the conflict within black communities. In 1989, Bota had a stroke, causing him to leave office. Frederick de Klerk was elected to be the new president, and with him came a new era of reform. As president, he negotiated with the African National Congress, also known as the ANC, and other groups. He began to dismantle elements of apartheid and released Nelson Mandela from prison. In 1994, Mandela won the first democratic election of South Africa and began his campaign to rectify the injustices caused by the previous South African government. Immediately after apartheid was declared over, the South African government took steps to prevent corruption. The censorship of the press was abolished, universal citizenship was established, and several other uplifting economic policies were enacted. However, this did not last. From the late 1990s and forward, South Africa experienced intense political corruption, economic struggles, and continued segregation. These issues are still very prominent today. Politicians in South Africa commonly used public offices to promote private interests and had a culture of being untouchable. In order to protect their dishonest policies, ANC politicians painted those that opposed them as pro-apartheid. Any anti-corruption movements were portrayed as akin to racism. Public grants that had been previously dedicated to activist groups were taken and given to politicians. In the Eastern Cape, authorities identified 985 civil servants who had awarded themselves grants totaling 462,950 rand, which is about 23,398 US dollars a month, and another 1.27 million rand a month had been paid to, quote, deceased beneficiaries. Corruption was very common among the police as well. Low-level officers who had low salaries were especially susceptible to bribery. A majority of the unethical policing practices were directed towards black South Africans who still had very little political power. Because corruption was largely experienced by poor and disenfranchised people, nothing was done about it. Additionally, there were huge economic disparities between South Africans. Under apartheid laws, black people were provided very few opportunities to make money that was not immediately spent on food or other necessities. This created a massive amount of impoverished people. The National Statistics Agency, Statistics South Africa, estimated that about 53% of the population was considered income poor. In addition, poverty rates were between 40 to 60 times higher among black Africans than whites. This lack of wealth was passed down through families, leaving white people who had generational wealth at a huge advantage over everyone else. While the government officially ended apartheid, they also made no effort to redistribute any land or other large assets. Because of this, the white elite remained in control of most of the economic power. Apartheid city planning has also been detrimental to black South Africans seeking employment. Because so many people still reside in the government designated areas, most of which are far from urban centers, there are very few job opportunities. According to an article titled, Process to End Apartheid, Halting but On Course, in the 1990s, less than half of the working age population was employed. Today, South Africa is in the top five of countries with the highest unemployment rates. In addition to differences in economic status, there are huge differences in housing among South Africans. White people typically live in luxury with pools and even servants. In contrast, black people typically live in temporary shacks without electricity or running water. In every prominent city in South Africa, housing segregation remains. 
This can be seen in Cape Town through two adjacent neighborhoods, Strand, which is 83% white, and Namzamo, which is 92% black. Despite being merely meters apart from each other, Strand has larger houses with yards and driveways, while in Namzamo, houses are much smaller and more densely packed. About 93% of people living in Strand have access to pipe water. This is a stark contrast to the 48.8% of people living in Namzamo who have this utility. Furthermore, 50.8% of Strand residents have internet access, with only 23% in Namzamo. These disparities can be seen all over the country. While much of the segregation is remaining from apartheid, South Africa is separated in slightly different ways now. While apartheid was still in place, black South Africans were forced to live in even more rural areas, far from the railways that the white elite used for trade. Once apartheid laws were repealed, the ANC focused on developing housing closer to cities. However, during this mass development, there was more focus on quantity rather than quality of housing. Due to this, black South Africans were able to move closer to cities, but lived in poor conditions. In addition, these townships are located on the periphery of cities. Despite there often being land available for development located in city centers, they are consistently bought by private developers solely interested in building up already established areas. This leaves poorer zones undeveloped, and as wealthy areas become more and more economically advanced, other areas fall even further behind. Along with this, in some places, Black-owned businesses are prohibited. This furthers both the economic disparities and racial segregation seen in urban South Africa. There are also large healthcare disparities between white and black South Africans. According to political posters created to highlight this discrepancy, there is one doctor for every 400 whites and one for every 44,000 Africans. This is also connected to the economic gap between these two groups. Because black people struggle to find work, they are unable to pay for housing and food, much less an expensive doctor's visit. Because of this, the life expectancy for whites is 15 to 20 years longer than Africans. At the end of apartheid, Nelson Mandela, the ANC, and various other politicians promised the start of a new chapter in South Africa. However, due to the segregation that has lingered, most black South Africans live similar lives to their family members during the mid-1900s and do not feel that the South African government has followed through on their promises. People in South Africa are still fighting to end the segregation today and struggle against the many issues that remain. Thank you for listening to my podcast, and I hope you enjoy.